Welcome back, listeners, to another episode of The New Standard on December 21st, 2022. And as always, I have my partner in crime to my left, Neil Kulong. What's up, Big Neil? So uh, it's a dark day, Lance, um, as we found out, and I'm sure everyone by now is aware, Steelers legendary running back, former NFL career rushing leader, the reception part of the Immaculate Reception, Hall of Fame member, and soon to be Jersey retired, Franco Harris has passed away at the age of 72. His son confirmed with the Associated Press Early Wednesday morning of his passing, no details on the cause of death have been released, but it's a shocking story to find out about early in the morning, just three days away from when the Steelers were, uh, and still are, uh, planning to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the Immaculate Reception. Perhaps, as we talked about off the air, Lance, the most iconic play in NFL history, maybe in sports history. On top of that, as Steelers coach Mike Tomlin said yesterday in great detail, he didn't know Franco the player, but he knew very well Franco the man. The dedication that he had to the city of Pittsburgh was unparalleled. And to echo those sentiments, the real sad thing here, Lance, in in my mind, is the fact that Franco unlike perhaps any other Steelers legend, really connects one generation to the next. I'm a pre-Steel Curtain Steelers fan. I was born at the very end of it. My my Steelers are Ben's Steelers for the most part, kind of starting in the the, the Kevin Green era uh, moving forward. But I was put to bed at night by stories of Franco Harris. You heard uh, the, the legendary accolades that he had on the field. We all knew growing up that Franco was in a place of reverence. And every other running back, and we're seeing a lot of this in social media right now, every other running back who had success in Pittsburgh has paid homage at some point or other to Franco Harris. Uh, There are comments from Jerome Bettis, who legitimately seems heartbroken over the whole thing. Um, I've seen Willie Parker chime in. Uh, Pat Fryermuth, interestingly enough, not a running back, but – Franco announced uh, the Friermuth selection in the draft three years ago, or two years ago, when when Friermuth was taken in the second round. Um, he touched every player who came through that locker room, and he touched every fan in some way or other. I have had the opportunity to interview Franco a couple times. To the degree that I can speak to him as a man, I can say this: everything we see of Franco really is who he who he who he was. It's hard to say. Um, you you always got a sense with Franco that he is completely genuine. He's completely sincere. And he knew he had a, a strong place of legacy within one of the most storied franchises in the NFL because he's one of the founding fathers of it. As we know full well, the Steelers were garbage before Franco arrived. And while Franco was not the only reason why they turned it around, he was a huge part of one of the biggest turnarounds we'll ever see in the history of professional sports. The Steelers fairly from 1933 through 1969, you could equate to probably a worse level than what we've seen of the Cleveland Browns since that franchise came back in in 1999. They were a complete and total dumpster fire. This podcast wouldn't exist back, and obviously it, it doesn't exist back then, but if, if we did this show back then, Lance, we would have maybe 2% of the audience. We probably wouldn't care as much. Franco and many others that, that came with him, but perhaps none greater than Franco, maybe some at his level, but none greater than Franco, turned all of that around. That achievement goes beyond statistics, It goes beyond placement in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, which he got in on the first ballot, rightfully so, in 1990. He is a legend in in that regard. And it's it's terrible to see. Um, 
there's a lot of history that goes with it. You know, my old man was a huge Franco Harris fan. He died five years ago. Um, it brings a lot of stuff back and it's, it's really sad to see, uh, especially short of a day that should have honored him, uh, while he was alive. Unfortunately, um, Franco Harris has passed away age 72. Um, rest in peace, Franco. Thanks for, thanks for what you did. Yeah, I can't really add much more to that other than, um, you know, being in Pittsburgh and living in Pittsburgh and being born in Pittsburgh um, and, and, and being born at the start of the curtain, you know, being born in 1970 at the start of the run. Um, you know, he, Franco was part of the fabric of the city, uh, living in Mexican war streets. Um, definitely. I mean, Franco was the man of the people the general of Franco's Italian army. And it's just uh, incredibly uh, sad to, to get the news this morning uh, that Franco Harris passed away. Uh, Franco will always be a legend. And uh, as we were saying off air, uh, the statue of uh, Franco Harris, seeing Franco Harris, when you come into Pittsburgh, um, catching the ball on the immaculate reception, um, will mean something a little bit more um, when you go into Pittsburgh. And that's just, you know, when you were talking about Franco being a legend, that's just the weight of the play. That when you when you enter the city, you are entered, you enter the city to the statue of Franco Harris catching the ball for the Immaculate Reception. Franco I mean, Harris that, next to George Washington, if, if yes. that tells you what Franco means in Pittsburgh. And thats I don't think that's an accident either. I, no. it, it's to, it, Sorry, just to, to dovetail off your point, it, one of my favorite traditions in, in Steelers fandom is you see the out-of-town out of town fans flock in Saturday before a game. And there are dozens upon dozens of pictures of the people that just came to town to get their picture taken next to that statue. I've had my picture taken next to that statue probably a dozen times. It, it's annoying for the locals. I get it. I've walked past it. But most of the time when you walk, you know, off the tram up or, or going to the tram up or down the escalator, you will see people sitting next to that statue and taking pictures. He ushered you into Pittsburgh. He bid you farewell when you left. It, it's he's an icon to, to the level of which it, it, it's hard for anybody in any city anywhere um, to fully understand, to fully embrace. And he was playing next to, to mean Joe Green, Terry Bradshaw, Jack Lambert, Jack Ham, Lynn Swan. Franco's the guy with the statue, or at least in the airport that play is so far above and beyond anything else that, that you can tie to a, a, a professional team and the athletes that play for them. It, it's just an incredible legacy. You, you can't put into words how big of a legacy that is. It, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, I mean, Hey, I'm from Pittsburgh. We're from Pittsburgh. I take a picture uh, with the statue every time I come to Pittsburgh. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you know, every time, you know, I come to Pittsburgh, I take a picture with Franco's statue. My wife couldn't believe it. You know, it just, she was just like, wow, there is a statue of him catching the football when you come to Pittsburgh. She could not believe just what that play meant to uh, the city, what it means to the NFL, and what it means to the history of sports in the United States of America. It's one of those plays. It's one of those moments that, you know, if you're a sports fan, even if you're not a sports fan, almost everybody has heard of and they know. But uh, again, rest in peace, Franco Harris, incredible man, incredible player, and an incredible legend. Um, again, Franco, it's going to be making that immaculate reception uh, with the man upstairs. And, um, you know, again, Franco, wow, it's incredible. The timing is very ironic, uh, but, hey, it is what it is. It's perfect timing. Um, and uh, RIP again to Franco Harris. But with that, we're going to move forward 
and, and break down the game as always if you want to participate in the show uh, go to youtube and do a search for the new standard uh and lance williams or neil kulong also if you want to catch the show via a podcast uh, go to a local podcast feeder or to your podcast feeder. I always say local podcast feeder and do a search for uh, the new standards. Not as if podcasts are local, podcasts are global, international. Um, make it local in a way. Yeah. Go to the one, think of local as go to the one that you like, that you're comfortable yes, with. Yes. It's easiest for you to get to. That sounds local. Yes. Yes. That's local. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> that's local. Uh, and mine was, uh, ironically, it was Pepe's. Uh, sort of near Mexican War Street. Um, and that's where I got my uh, local uh, sandwich of choice in Pittsburgh. Uh, again, sad day, uh, but we're going to power through. And um wanted to uh, toss it back to you, Neil. Any um, fr- From Sunday's victory against Carolina, was there anything uh, from a numbers perspective or just any nugget that you wanted to jump back in and talk about that you might have missed or that we might have just not talked about on Sunday? Um, I, I, I think the resounding impression that I got from a lot of people more on the, the negative Nelly side of things was the, the level of quality um, of the, the Panthers. They're an NFL team. Okay, if the, if the five and eight Panthers are that much worse than the five and eight Steelers, then the Steelers should do what they did to them. So they accomplished their goal. I can tell you several instances, about eight of them so far this year, in which the Steelers failed to accomplish their goal. So if if we're coming down on them that much, a team that started two and six, that was utterly brutal in in many cases if we are that upset with them going out and executing, I'd say 90% in in dominance over an NFL team, I don't know what your guys' standard is, but the the reality is you're not measuring this reasonably and you don't know what you're looking at. This team was a dumpster fire from training camp through about week eight. They were really not a good team. The fact that they are coming back now to be competitive, at least in in many most of the games that they're playing, they're winning more than they're losing. That kind of turnaround with with this roster from where they started, it's a pretty admirable job. Now, I understand full well, Lance, and and people are going to freak out about this because they have to have, for the sake of their self-esteem, the Steelers be a, a, a Super Bowl level team. I feel watching the, the Panthers game, and this is not a, a majority opinion, it, it does me good because I feel like I can be proud of this team. I can watch this and say, you know what? I know where they were. I see where they are now. The level of effort that they've put in to fixing the gaping holes that they had is respectable. They're not a, a dominant team by any stretch. I don't think they'll win this weekend. I didn't pick them to win last weekend. They're not a good football team. I expected them to finish below 500. I don't care about Tomlin's streak except for I'd like it to continue because, one, I like to see my team win. Two, I like to see my team win. Three, it's fun to shut people up. As long as that streak was there, it was fun to throw into the naysayers that think they know what they're talking about. We won't have that anymore. And there are a lot of reasons for it. There are a lot of things that they need to fix. I'm not giving a pass, but at the very least, I feel like at the 10,000 foot level, the Panthers game showed what they're they're, what they were trying to build and what they got to. Now that might anger some in social media that want to take everything. I, I say completely out of context. What I mean by that is they wanted to have a, a, a dominant, running team they wanted to be able to win games in the trenches and they wanted to be able to suffocate an opposing run game and try to eliminate the big plays on defense I feel like all those boxes were checked and that's what I mean when I say this is the team they were trying to build that is not a comment on the roster itself they wanted to play football like they did against the Panthers and be able to to win uh, in that fashion and they did ample evidence to back that up 
if we need to immediately go into what Kevin Colbert did, who's not a part of this team, if we need to get into that, we're completely off the mark and you need to do something else with, with your life. To be honest, you, you have to, to find a little bit more objectivity, some more reasonability. <laughs> Find something else to do with your time if you were that upset and that outraged over something you clearly don't understand. That doesn't all come from the Patriots game or the, the Panthers game, I guess, Lance. But this time of the year, I like to see the Steelers playing uh, competitive football. It's not going to extend into January. We know that. Mike Tomlin is not going to give up at the very least until they are mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. They're spiritually eliminated. I don't think there's any way in the world they're going to the playoffs. But at the very least, they're playing like they have a chance. In, in, in some instances, I'm okay with that. Because go watch the Houston Texans play sometime, you know, consistently week in and week out. It, 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 I don't know how those guys muster the strength to go out and play outside of their paychecks. It's really hard to get them rowing in the right direction when they're as bad, as dismal, and bleak as they are. The Steelers don't quit. They could have given up, folded the tents, and left a long time ago. They're fighting. They're going to finish the year much better than when they started. I'm not satisfied with that overall, but I will applaud the effort. At the very least, I feel like that's what we saw against Carolina. It wasn't perfect. not going to suggest at all that it was. I'm also not saying that Carolina used to be undefeated before they played the mighty Steelers who are now in, in pole position to win the Super Bowl. Simply not the case. I know that. We can find other things to appreciate within this game. We don't need to be uh, as, as ruthless about it as many are. I think, though, when you do that, you're going to find a lot more enjoyment. You're going to see more clearly what they're trying to do and that makes it more, a, a really more of an enjoyable experience. I don't know about you, Lance, but my self-identity is not attached to the Steelers. I'm not on the team. I don't have membership in the team. It is a part of my culture. It is a part of my family. That doesn't mean they are not ever going to not compete for a Super Bowl. I, I've been as harsh on this team as anybody has. They're not particularly good. Their roster is not particularly good. They've got a lot more work that they need to do. But I see the direction that they're going in, and there is some reason for optimism. Again, long offseason, a lot of work they need to do, a lot of tough questions they need to get answered. But last week was a pretty solid performance, all things considered. And if, if you're not okay with that, fine. You know, I, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting when you were saying it that if if you don't like wins, then the standard is definitely not the standard for you. Um it's just a win. I mean, it's a win. You win, you, you win, and you correct. That's why I never complain about winning, and that's why I I um, I probably understand the phrase, um, you know, when Tomlin would say style points don't matter just because of the difficulty in winning in the National Football League consistently. Success begets success, and that's why the Steelers are going to continue to fight every week to try to win games. You don't learn how to win by losing games. True. You learn how to win games by winning games. You got to play. You got to compete. And again, we're, we're we're talking about these are guys' dreams. This is what puts you know food on the table. This is what these guys have been working to do their entire lives. Players, coaches, front office guys, they're not going to give up games, and they should not. And and, and I love that. And I hate tanking, but I like sexy tanking. Um, when, um, you know, they, they respect my dollar. They respect the, the hard work that I put to giving my money to them to consume the product. And so I appreciate when teams continue to play. Here's a, here's an interesting number that jumped out to me, uh, from the game. And it might go to, and I want to get your perspective on this, whether this was game plan, was this just a factor of who was playing? Uh, how they wanted to play that game, whatever. Uh, did you realize that in this game, Friar Muth had no targets? Um, it, it's. It, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, I, to be honest with you, I was not aware it was zero targets, but it really kind of seemed like he was on something of a pitch count. 
Um, that phrase came up a bit during the game. Um, he's had concussion issues as well. I don't think they intended him to have a, a full complement of snaps. Um, that very well could have been, we're going to put him in in running situations, have him block more so than put him down the field where he can take another shot to the head. Not to suggest that blocking is somehow safer, but it seemed like they had a very specific shorter game plan for him than they usually do. Um, to not give him a target, he was, I believe, top five in the, in, in the NFL among tight ends uh, in targets. It was a little bit different, but they didn't throw the ball a whole lot this game. Um, they wanted to run. They wanted to uh, uh, dominate on the ground up front, and they were largely successful uh, in those efforts. Certainly situationally, they were. They didn't need him to, uh, to get a bunch of targets. We saw Zach Gentry out there. He got a few. Um, I don't think Hayward did, to my memory. No, he didn't. I think uh, Gentry only got one target in the game. Okay. Well, then it, it was a game where they didn't uh, – they, they, they wanted to play 12. I'm I, pretty sure they did that. I don't have that in front of me. Um, and, and use uh, extra blockers to, to try to widen out the run game a little bit. And I, I think uh, to, to, uh, to a reasonable degree, they were successful with that. Um, they, they ran successfully. Situationally, they were strong. Uh, made the plays that they needed to. Dominated time of possession. Um, I, I think that was more of their plan not to throw the ball um, around the field. Now, there's going to be a time and place for, for you know, a lot of different styles of football. Um, I feel like their, their plan in this one was to attack um, A gap, B gap, try to run uh, more of the inside and outside zone that they've been doing, and they had success with it. Um, it, it I, more of the question, though, is Frymuth's uh, long-term health. Is he okay? What, what are they going to do with him this weekend? Uh, a little bit shorter of a week game. Uh, it, it, it'll be interesting to see. You, you hope he's okay. Um, they cleared uh, – we'll, we'll get into this as well, but they, they cleared Kenny Pickett with the same thing. Um, maybe that suggests they're going to try to do the same thing that they did last week. Maybe that suggests fewer targets uh, for Frymuth. I don't know. Um, up in the air against a, a, a very interesting opponent, but it, it was definitely uh, um, unique <laughs> in terms of game plan. Uh, to see Frymouth not get the ball to the level that he that he did not in this game. And looking at the game book, both tight ends, Gentry played 42 snaps of 68 offensive snaps, and Frymouth played 38 of 68 uh, offensive snaps. So it was a weird usage, and I, you know, I never thought I'd see a game in where uh, Boykin would get a catch, but Frymouth would not, or even get a target. I mean, even Gunner got a catch, and so did Zach Gentry, and Steven Sims even got uh, two targets in the game. So it was kind. Of, I, I wanted to point that out because I, I, I thought he had got a target. I knew that he played, but I didn't know. I was surprised to see uh, that he didn't get any targets. And again, they only threw the ball twenty-one times in the game, and of those twenty-one uh, pass attempts, Deontay Johnson was targeted ten times. So I thought that was a weird anomaly that we should talk about uh, that happened with this particular game. And I'm glad that you mentioned Kenny Pickett because the other big news, unfortunately, or fortunately for the Steelers, is that uh, Kenny Pickett has been – has he officially been cleared in a, from the concussion protocol? You know, it, it's funny that you ask that. Um, yeah. I, I, listened, I listened to Tomlin's uh, press conference. I don't feel like they did clear him yet. And I feel like everybody heard something optimistic. And then all of a sudden the story became he's cleared into, he will start. I don't think we heard that necessarily. Um, the fact that he was listed uh, with, well, he wasn't, he was not listed on the team's hypothetical injury report, which is what they do um, ahead of a, 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 an earlier game um, Thursday or Saturday, the Steelers are going to play Saturday night. So they would list, uh, injuries that the team is aware of that would affect their practice participation for that day if they had practiced. They didn't. Uh, Pickett was said to – he would not have been on the report. That would indicate that he is cleared from concussion protocol. I did not feel um, – we heard that from Tomlin. I didn't listen to it a second time. But the impression I got wasn't that he was starting. Uh, he was not emphatic about that point if that is in case uh, what's going to happen. It seems like that's where they're going. I just, to me, I feel like they're, they're going to kind of take a look and, and make sure. Uh, Tomlin also likes to game these things a little bit. There's some showmanship involved. 
he's not going to go out of his way to fully, you know, make 100% certain the Raiders are aware of who they're going to start a quarterback just yet because he doesn't have to. So I, I would expect Pickett to start. I just I don't feel like there was any type of formal declaration of that. Not that there has to be on a Tuesday, but um, I, that's I that's my take of it. Uh, it. That could be different. It doesn't seem like anybody is really wavering with the idea that uh, um, that he won't start. But uh, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens. They're not going to officially declare anything. I mean, they don't do that with a guy that's going to start. Uh, he's just not going to be listed as out. That that's what they'll do. And in which case, um, if he is healthy, he'll play. We know that. Listeners, make sure you please like and subscribe to the program. If you're listening, please give us a like and subscribe. We're almost close to being monetized, so please push us over the top. Yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to I wanted to talk to you about that because I didn't get the the sense that he was fully cleared, but I did get the sense that they were going to start him or every report that I saw, it was kind of like, he's it's one foot in, you know, sort of like putting your big toe into the cold water. I mean, so, you know, I, I, I expect that we probably will see um, Kenny Pickett on Saturday, but the question is a, a, another thing is, and, I, and I'll answer it first. And I want to get your perspective is should we see Kenny Pickett on Saturday? And I think that's the question as well. And I'll answer it this way, that there's a lot of things that I've seen on social media about Kenny Pickett's health, uh, about the concussions, that the season is is lost, that there's no reason to play Kenny Pickett. You should preserve his health, get him healthy, so on and so forth for next year. Look, unfortunately, and, and I can say this, and I don't want it to sound like I'm being insensitive and flippant with someone's health. But I will say this, playing football, unfortunately, involves getting hit in the head. That is a part of the job description. Part of the job description of being a starting quarterback is getting hit in your head, possibly. And part of being a starting quarterback in the league is figuring out how to protect yourself. And so if anything... Playing these games will, if the coaching staff says he should start, give them the best opportunity to win. And he has to learn how to protect himself. He has to learn how to make business decisions, when to quit on plays, when to throw the ball out of bounds, when to live to see another down. That's part of the development of him being a quarterback. So when it comes to these type of situations, I mean, people rip me all the time. They're like, you're so hard hearted. You're not playing. It's not your health. I'm just like, look, man, they play football, getting hurt and getting hit in the head and getting concussions, unfortunately, is a part of it. Um, And I trust that the team will do what's in the best interest of, you know, and that might be naive of themselves first and the player. And that decision is mutually is made mutually. Uh, by both parties. I mean, Kenny Pickett, if he doesn't feel as if he's healthy, he won't go out there. I know that players oftentimes play hurt and they do certain things and, you know, they do certain things and and they play when they're not actually healthy. But I I don't have an issue at all uh, with, with Kenny Pickett starting the game. It's a big spot. It's a big moment. It's a great, uh, every game is a great development uh, something for his development. So I don't have an issue with it. Um, if the staff thinks he's ready to go, if the player thinks he's ready to go, then you play the guy. It's really what it comes down to. Um, you hate to say this, but they're getting paid a lot of money um, with the potential of making more money. The one guy who's going to want to be on the field is Kenny Pickett. So uh, the job, in, in my opinion, the responsibility of the team is to protect him from himself. What that means is you don't put him out there if he can't protect himself. Getting hit in the head, yes, it, it's an inherent part of football. I would offer this up, though, as, as insensitive as it might sound. The hit that he took from Roquan Smith isn't a common one. Not dirty. It's not illegal. It, it's, it, he's getting him to the ground. Nothing wrong with what he did at all. But that isn't going to happen all that often, you know. Um, 
there is an inherent risk that you cannot avoid and you're not going to avoid. Resting him does not prevent the same thing from happening a year, two years, six years down the line in either the preseason or the Super Bowl. We don't know what's going to happen. When Mike Tomlin says things like, we don't live in our fears, that's what he means. We don't know what's going to happen. You can't plan for injury. You just can't. It, it's, it, it's not feasible in a process sense. Now, people all think, well, just get a good backup. Your backup's not a starter. It, it, logically, it's invalid. There is no backup that's your starter. You, you can't have both. You can pay to have a backup who can do certain things to help the team, but he's not your starting quarterback, and there's a reason he's not your starting quarterback. Protecting Kenny Pickett now, uh, as in don't play him, does not guarantee anything for the future. It's a fluke one-time injury. It is not accumulation of hits. It's not a boxer. It's not the way that it works. He could play in the game and never get touched. Fully possible that that happens. More of the risk in not playing him is him not getting what he really needs. Game reps, situation reps, that, uh, uh, that learned knowledge, those throws, the looks against defense, more time with his teammates. Those things develop you into a great player. And I might argue, this isn't entirely fair, but I might argue that without those things, you're not going to want him to play whether he's injured or not. Because he's not going to be good enough. You have to take a risk at some point. They drafted him to play, not to not play. I mean, it's just the, the whole thing, I understand the humanity part of it, but this is a savage game for savage people. If, if we need to try to put up passive resistance to everything, we really shouldn't watch any of it. But we do, because we love it. They play it because they get highly paid, and to some degree, they enjoy it. The money is certainly right for them. That's why they get paid as much as they do. Pickett is out there trying to earn a contract. He's trying to uh, win the respect of his teammates. He's trying to lead them, and he's trying to win games. If he does that, he's going to get paid a lot of money. Um, He is okay with that risk. I mean, everything suggests he's okay with that risk. If he is able to play, if he is ready to play, in other words, if he can defend himself, he should be out there. And I, I, I'm certain that's the Steelers' determination as well. And the Steelers, as well as the, the Steelers as a franchise and the connections they have to UPMC, have been at the forefront of the, the real concussion issue that has plagued the NFL for the first 70 years of its existence, however long it is. I, I'm not letting them off the hook for, for anything that they did, but they're, they are understanding of the fact that they are under the microscope when it comes to how they deal with these things. They're going to make the decision based on uh, not just what is in the best interest of the player, but the best interest of the team because the player wants to play. He wants to focus on that. If everything that we know says he can play, he can defend himself, he should be out there. If the team needs him to play, he should play. Um, that that's, that's the game, Lance. That's life. I mean, people don't like it, but we really – can't tell a whole lot of people what to do, you know. The yeah, level I mean, of control we think we have over our fellow man is is incredible to me. And in a game where one of the big matchups, when you're taking a look at this Steeler offense against this Raider defense, Steeler offense number 18 in DVOA against the Raider defense, this 32nd in defensive DVOA. Uh, one of the big matchups that stand out is the matchup of Chucks versus Crosby. Uh, Chucks right now is rated uh, number 18 in true pass sets in terms of pass pro uh, by PFF, and Crosby is ranked number ninth, uh, is ranked ninth, I should say, in terms of edge players. I think they have him listed as an edge player. Um, No, no, they don't have him. I think they have him as a defensive. He's a defensive. I think they have him as a DI or something. Um, I forget what designation they have. That, um, that tends to mean interior line. Yeah, but yeah, it's weird because he's not a stand-up guy. They his designation is weird, but be it as it may, uh, Max Crosby is a very uh, effective pass rusher 
wide nine guy, high motor guy, a guy that's going to really get after it uh, every snap and give his full uh, 100% on every snap, a very tough player uh, to handle. Um, what's your thoughts on that matchup, Neil, from we, a pass protection standpoint? We we saw him last year and he tore it up. Um, Max Crosby's a hell of a player, a uh, great football player. Um, and yeah, not to get in too, too deeply to the, the obvious stereotypes, but yeah, he's a high motor guy. He plays with a lot of energy. Um, he, he comes every play. Uh, you, you have to love how he approaches the game. You have to love how he plays the game. And he's dominant. He had a big game against them last year uh, when they beat him in, in, I think it was week two uh, last season. Um, that's a tough matchup for Chucks. It's a tough matchup for anybody. I mean, he's, he's you know, borderline hall, uh, excuse me, borderline all pro level player. Um, he can have that kind of impact on a game. So it, it's, it's mission critical for the Steelers to, to find ways to stop him. And I think that's going to be. Uh, essential as far as packaging goes for the Steelers, what they're calling, how they're doing, what they're doing. Um, a lot of teams will run screens off of, of high energy, high impact uh, edge rushers like him. Steelers don't screen a whole lot, um, not planned anyway. They outlet pass, but we'll, I, I think while Chooks is certainly going to be a, a, a primary guy um, in that effort, I think it's a big game for the, the tight ends as well as um, the running backs. Yeah, I was going like, to ask you that. You see a lot of 12 in this game? I do. I do, because I, th I think this is the way they want to play. I think this is what they've wanted to do. It's just taken them a bit uh, to, to get the depth to feel comfortable um, in doing it. Farmuth has been banged up a little bit as well. I think that might have slowed some of, of the, the progress. Hayward is kind of the key to that. Um, Gentry is a good player. I nothing against you. I, I like what Gentry has developed himself into. He's a guy I'd, I'd be curious if they might uh, might try to get back on on a one or two year deal in his own right. But uh, Hayward is coming along quite a bit as a receiver. That helps. You can't run twelve personnel if you're using a tight end that absolutely will not go out for for pass routes. You know you, you're not you're showing exactly what you're doing if that's the case. It's taken Hayward a bit to kind of uh, develop and catch up. Not unusual for a rookie to be playing much better in the second half of the year than in the first. With that in mind, they have three tight ends that they can use in a multitude of ways. If we want to call that 12, <clears throat> if we want to call it, you know, you could run an offset eye. You know, Hayward can come in as a fullback and, and, and shift or, you know, shift to the line or offline. They're, they're more versatile uh, with a player like that. This is really what they wanted when they drafted him. So, I think they can do that in this game. Um, I don't have the numbers in front of me. I'm, I'm curious how much they did it in the last game and how much that was uh, the result of Frymuth's condition as opposed to uh, a, a tactical advantage. But it, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they want to get after uh, Vegas here on the ground and try to limit um, <laughs> really what should have been a pretty explosive big play offense. They, they haven't been able to click all season either, very similar to, to the Steelers' offense. But... Uh, it's still dangerous. Devontae Adams is still uh, among the most talented receivers in the game. So defensively, you probably want to, or offensively, you probably want to control the clock a little bit so you don't have to put your defense into a bunch of adverse situations against big-time playmakers like they have on that team. And when you look at Crosby, he is indeed on PFF listed as an edge. He is the yeah, number know. four. He's the number why they would yeah, list him otherwise. Yeah, he's the number four. Uh, rated edge behind Miles Garrett, uh, Micah Parsons, and Brandon Graham. Um, he, in fact, I think he was like number two last year. Yeah, uh, that's over. That's overall defensive grade, and in terms of pass half, rush, half of that was from his game against the Steelers. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> he tore and, us up. <laughs> and, and in terms of pass rush, he's a little bit lower. Miles um, Garrett is still number one in pass rush rating. Um, he had a little bit of a better year last year. Uh, as a team overall, in terms of adjusted sack rate, the Steelers are ranked 13th and the Raiders are ranked 30th. And, you know, and looking at the Raider game last week um, against the Patriots, uh, you know, a lot of chips, a lot of slide protection to his way. He was getting blocked by multiple people. Um, I would I would suspect that the Steelers will probably go at it that way, try to block him with a tight end, chip him with a back pay a lot of attention to Crosby and feel as if they can hold up with the other pass rushers. Now you talked about the running game, 
Steelers are 13th in DVOA in terms of the run. The Raiders are 22nd in DVOA. Uh, Najee Harris is rated 22nd overall by backs and 28th in DVOA. What do you think about uh, the matchup between the Steelers running game uh, against that Raiders run defense? The Steelers running game, from what we saw um, functionally, the way that they conducted business uh, against Carolina, I know it's, it's Carolina, uh, the way they executed, though, it has to give you faith that they're capable of running um, to a high level. It, it, that's just simply not something we've said uh, all that often, um, certainly over the last two years. I think they can win that game up front. I, I think they are capable of doing that. It's just Crosby is a, a, a disruptor. He's a difference maker. That's going to be an issue. Um, can they get guys in front of him? How many are they going to need to slow him down? Um, and from there... The other guys not involved with that assignment, are they able to win their specific assignments? And how much of that, uh, how much versatility can they add to all of that? That's the the question that I would have. I think the Steelers can do it. Um, Are they going to run for 200 yards? No, uh, probably not. I don't think they're that good. Um, It's tough. I I think in a large part, I think that the game is going to come down to that, though. uh, Pittsburgh's offense uh, versus Vegas's defense. And who can win the battle of attrition overall and what's going to be a, a, a very cold blustery night in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And if you're a Steeler fan and I assume you are, if you're listening to this show, you got to be optimistic with the performance of the Patriots on the ground last week uh, against uh, the Raiders. They ran it 32 times for 206 yards. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson had 19 attempts for 172 Average 9.1, had a very good game before he decided to lateral. I don't know, has that play does that has that play gotten a name yet? It, it must have a name. That play was one of the dumbest plays. I think it's funny to me. I don't – everyone wants to rush to give it a name. I think that in and of itself makes it something that doesn't need a name. Uh, everybody recognizes it. Everybody knows it. Uh, the Immaculate Reception – was something that was not caught by the initial TV camera angles. Live, you didn't see it. The game was blacked out locally. Um, you ask anybody around that age in Pittsburgh, there was you know 3.5 million people at that game, but the reality is there's only 50,000, and a lot of them had left. So few people saw it. Therefore, it kind of needs a nickname to, to, to proliferate, you know, I the the Stevenson. I, I think you can just call it the lateral, and everyone's going to know what you're talking about. But it, as far as the significance of it goes, <laughs> everybody knows what it is. Everybody is going to immediately equate it as what not to do <laughs> in the NFL. That, that um, dumb stuff. It, it's it's <laughs> just to, to segue on that very quickly. Um, it, it's funny to me that everybody wants to work as hard as as they seem to be uh, to talk about how stupid it was for them to do it. It's like, yeah, absolutely. And then why doesn't Belichick just take a knee? Like, well, he gave the trust to his player to do the right thing. And it, it's, there's still, how much time was left? Like 12 seconds, something it was like, like that. Two seconds. If they don't, was it two really? Yeah. It okay. Was like- if, if he doesn't trust his quarterback to throw 55 yards in the element, yeah, okay, I can get it. Um, I'm sure Mac Jones is going to disagree, but I understand what he's saying with that. Get it to the get the ball to a good running back that can make some moves. And when you're facing ten defensive backs like you are, maybe it's possible he can make a move. Maybe it's possible he can break a tackle and make and, and make something happen. Defensive penalty, they get a, a long field goal um, to to try to win the game on an untimed down. It's better than taking a knee because the reality is what happened absolutely should not have happened in any circumstance. You don't lateral if you don't have that set up. And you know what it makes me think of. I don't know who else remembers this. Please tell me if you do. Antoine Randall L. lateraled. I think this was 2005. I was at the game. Were you at that? Oh, my yes. God, was that stupid. <laughs> yes. The whole momentum of the game swung on that. <laughs> they were going to win the game. And it, he, it's, it, it, it's like, Tuan, buddy, you're not a point guard, okay? They're not expecting you to throw them the ball when you're down the field. And, of course, Patriots recover. They go on to win the game. You, you can't just do things like that. And then from there, to try to throw it, 30 yards to your quarterback who's going to do what with it? He's the least athletic quarterback under the age of 30 in the NFL. 
it, it, we don't need to get into just yeah, how incredibly yeah, stupid yeah. it was, but it, it's it doesn't need a name because of that. I, if it has a name, it's just going to be the lateral because <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's all it needs. It's not. It, it's just <laughs> an example of pure stupidity. I feel really bad for the players involved because you know they're they're trying to make a play. Um, we should it, call it, it just an unfortunate mistake. They should call ways, it the mush. My God, was that funny? They should call it the mush because he got mush. But I think the compelling matchup in this game, although we know the Steelers are going to try to run the football, is you have a team in the Raiders that are ranked 31st in DVOA um, against stopping the pass. And, you know, you look at some of their DVOA numbers against wide receivers, number one wide receivers, 19. Number two receivers, eight other receivers, 32nd, and tight ends, 19. Overall, 31st, that there is some opportunity for the Steelers to make some hay offensively in the passing game, particularly if they can get Crosby blocked. Because one thing I noticed in watching the Raiders, they play a lot of cover one. Uh, they play a lot of man coverage. And I'm thinking, you know, we were talking a lot about Deontay Johnson last game. I think in a game like this, if you play a lot of one-on-one -on -one coverage against Deontay and George Pickens, if you can protect, there's going to be some opportunities downfield uh, for the Steelers to make some hay. And this could, I really think that this could be a game where you see uh, Deontay Johnson break the seal, so to speak, and get a touchdown. What do you think about Wouldn't the matchup be between Steelers passing game uh, and the Raiders uh, run, uh, passing defense? Um, I, I would I agree with everything that you're saying. My issue is uh, weather's going to be very not passing like. Yes. Um, and here's the thing with that: when it gets really cold, and I'm an expert of this, living where I live, it's <laughs> I believe eight below right now. There was somebody, by the way, that said I should uh, shoot the first part of the show outside. I was actually kind of thinking before the the unfortunate news we found out this morning. I was going to do the show outside until I couldn't do it anymore and see how long it would have lasted. <laughs> I, would have, I, I was going to set the over under at 12 minutes tops. Probably wasn't going to make it more than 12 minutes. But um, the, the weather conditions in Pittsburgh, it, it's supposed to be cold. Uh, the high that day is going to be like 8. This game's kicking off at, at 8.30 Eastern. So you're talking, call it zero. I mean, it may as well be zero. It doesn't matter what the wind chill is. You don't have a great ability – uh, to grip the ball that's going to be much harder hard, uh, harder to handle harder to, to throw hands. and yes the whole small hands thing small is, is going to come up it's it's not conducive to a great passing attack so i, I it, that doesn't necessarily mean uh you stick on the ground it just means that you're not going to take a whole lot of deep shots i don't think at the same time though keep in mind they're not playing at, at lambeau field in 1963 okay there are heating coils under the field uh, it doesn't make the field, you, you know, balmy and warm. It makes it unfrozen. So it, it's it. There is a certain level of heat that's going to come off the ground. Uh, it'll be warmer on the turf than it will be in the stands. So it's not completely impossible. It's just not going to be the easiest thing in the world for really any quarterback to do. Some elements bother uh, some QBs differently than others. Uh, just knowing the Steelers makeup, though, a team that hasn't really tried a whole lot of deep stuff all year, there's really no evidence to think they're going to try more of that. But I do agree with the idea that you really can't defend Deontay Johnson in, in single coverage. It's a question of seeing uh, where he is. It's a question of, of um, we're assuming Pickett, but either Trubisky as well, uh, recognizing that that's where he is and getting the ball. Like we talked about last week too, though, Lance, from there, that's been the challenge for Johnson up to this point. We, we looked up these numbers. Last year, uh, the end of the season, Deontay Johnson was eighth in the NFL with like 582 yards after the catch. This year, he's 87th in the NFL with like 132 or something like that. If you watch him after he catches the ball, and usually he's catching it with, with his face forward to the line. He's running curls, slants, things like that. Um, he is taking steps back, I know. And he might lose a yard doing that kind of thing, but he's trying to get free to be able to make a play. When he catches the ball, watch the defenders. One, they're all being told quite clearly, rally to the ball when he gets it because he is a, he's a game-breaker after the catch. And from there, the initial guy is playing an angle. He's not running at him right away. They're letting him kind of waste movement, waste a little bit of time, going back farther to get his shoulders square to try to get up the field. 
and that in turn gives uh, the, the the ralliers the opportunity to get to him and cut off any escape lane that he might have. They've really taken away his yards after catch. Now there, there's work that he has to do as a receiver, and schematically they've got to find a way to, to put him in a better spot to make plays after the catch. But that's what's killing them more than anything. Either way, though, you're not going to ignore Deontay Johnson just because you think you can stop him after the catch. You know, and him not getting the ball is really what you want uh, to to slow down their passing attack. That would be a huge. If if they were only able to get Johnson the ball four times, their passing game, the Steelers' passing game, either was completely neutered that day or it, George Pickens had 250 yards on 12 targets. Yeah. I don't I'm not sure that's going to happen either. That'd be a fun game to watch, I'm sure. But Johnson not getting the ball means the passing game isn't working far more often than it means somebody else is lighting it up. So they they need to find ways to do more against not the greatest pass defense you've ever seen, but a good pass rush. They got to find a way more find a way to get Johnson the ball in space and give him a good opportunity to make plays after the catch. That's really why he doesn't have any touchdowns. He's not able to break anything. Uh, yeah, with and, that, they don't have chunk plays. They don't have chunk yes. plays. They're not in the red zone throwing the ball all that well. Um, it, it, there, there are a lot of things, but make no mistake, it is historically weird for him to have gotten the ball as often as he has and not scored a touchdown. It's never happened. It never happened. Nobody in the history of the game has gotten as many targets as Johnson has, 122, I think it is, uh, without scoring a touchdown. It's really, really strange. Yeah, and to your point, it's, um, you know, Football Outsiders has a great metric yards above replacement. And at this point in the season, I think his is a minus 87, which means he's minus 87 uh, underneath the replacement. So a replacement, he has 87 less yards statistically than a replacement player. It's just, it's just weird. And, which it's which is really absolutely weird. brutal. Um, it, but it's, it's brutal, but it's not as damning an individual stat as you think that it would be. Because it's not like he's bad. Deontay no. Johnson is a really good receiver. He just it, it's players doing what he's doing don't have he's he's a small, slippery, balanced, uh, uh, excellent route running, stationary object. Okay, that doesn't happen in the NFL. Guys that can do the things he does break plays eventually. He just hasn't. And I, I almost feel like there's a regression to the mean that's coming here. He's going to bust one soon, and he's going to continue to do that for the rest of the year just to get back kind of to where um, historically, statistically, he should be. When you when you flip the ball, it's sort of average versus average. Steelers defense 13 in DVOA. Yep. Raiders offense 16 in DVOA, both middle of the pack. The Steelers though, we see – improving. Yeah, they're improving. You can see with the Steelers, if they play to their ceiling, uh, you know, they can shut down teams and play very well. Um, one of the big issues, in my opinion, is the lack of defensive line depth and a lot of that and T.J. Watt's injury. And I think this pits a nice matchup between Highsmith and Colt Miller and Watt versus, um, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm going to get the pronunciation right, El Menor? Uh Sounds good to me. Ah, okay, and um, and that's the matchup I think to look at. You're talking about uh, Colton Miller, who's playing very good football, uh, and, and T.J. Watt. I thought showed some flashes um, in the Carolina Panther game. What's your thoughts on the, the the pressure aspect here? You think Steelers be able to get good pressure on Derek Carr in this game? It, it's really all going to come down once again to Watt. Um, he's the superstar. Uh, I I agree with you. I think we saw some kind of Wadian like plays. Last week, um, a few of them, not a ton. Um, we're not getting the, the four-quarter all-out assault from him the way we have in the past. Um, and, and he's hurt. You can tell that he's not playing at 100%, but he's getting better. Um, if he is at the top of his game, if he is able to command the kind of attention that he normally does, um, others can eat. And we've seen good things out of Alex Highsmith. Um, I think the Steelers could use a big game from him. I like their chances in this one in that regard, except I don't think we're going to see a ton of passing. There's not going to be a ton of opportunity uh, for pressure, which is to say Carr's going to get the ball, drop three steps, and release. He's good at that. Quick release guy. He can throw short. They're figuring things out um, in Las Vegas. As somebody that 
I'm, I'm guilty of this, had high expectations for Josh McDaniels in Las Vegas. Um, I'm eating plenty of crow. It, it, it just simply has not worked out for them all year. They, they have a, a litany of problems um, on both sides of the ball, but definitely on, on the offense uh, in Las Vegas. But it, I still feel like they're going to break out eventually. And this is the kind of team they can do that against if they're able to get Adams deeper uh, to, to make plays down the field. I don't know if this is the right game for them to do that. They're going to have to largely pitch a shutout against uh, uh, T.J. Watt. So for me, Watt is the guy that, that's got to open all that up. Uh, I, I think they're capable of it. We'll, we'll see. Um, it will, I, weather doesn't affect a guy like Watt. You know, the, the internal things, physical things affect him more than anything else around him. If it comes to him at his best, he could play on the sun and dominate. You know, it's not an issue of the opponent. It's not an issue of a scheme. It, it's just about his physical health. We'll see where he is. He'd be I, red. He'd be red hot. I feel there you, go. there you go. <laughs> if if he is uh, if he continues to to improve the way that he has, I think Vegas will have a tough time moving the ball. But I would imagine they're going to want to run uh, quite a bit against this defense. That's what I would do. And speaking of the running game, you're talking about Josh Jacobs, currently rated uh, number nine in DVOA and the number one rated. Uh, running back on PFF. He's running very well. Excellent back. He's probably the best Alabama back that's come out in the last decade. He's from from Stanford, isn't he? No, he's from Alabama. Him and Derrick Henry. Josh Jacobs? Yeah, he's from Alabama. He um, he was there before Najee. Um, He was the starter. I think it was him, Najee Harris. Well, who's the one from uh, Stanford? uh, The hell am I thinking of? Good back. I don't know back. Why am I? Why am I still talking? Oh, you're thinking of McCaffrey. You're <laughs> thinking of know. McCaffrey. I'm thinking of McCaffrey. <laughs> That's the only. Josh good Jacobs back. and McCaffrey are not. No, are not the not, same. Not the same. Ebony and Ivory living in perfect <laughs> harmony. <laughs> Ebony, <laughs> Ivory. One I, of the worst songs. By I, the way, my song is terrible. By the way, why is that even popular? I've never understood. It's just because it was Paul McCartney and Michael Jackson. God, what are you? Doing. He could do no wrong at that point in time. Yeah, I suppose um, there's that. You know, he could do. He was definitely the king of pop. One shiny Michael, glove, but Michael Michael didn't need it. I don't know what Sir Paul did much Sir of his Paul. solo career. His Christmas uh, song, by the way, is the worst fucking thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> nice mixing of an f bomb Christmas songs and pop. That it's was Christmas very... season. I don't know about you guys. I'm swearing every third word. You know, it's very nihilistic. The running game. We've seen the Steelers play very well in the running game last week. Probably the best we've seen them play all year in the running game. They held Carolina to 21 yards on 16 attempts. I mean, they absolutely stopped that running game. They're going to have to have, in my opinion, uh, a similar, not a similar effort, but a very good effort in the elements against a team that's going to lean heavy on the running game. Look into your crystal ball, Neil Stradamus, and give me Josh Jacobs' stat line for this game. This, um, I, I honestly, I think it, this is going to be a really basic game. I don't think there's going to be a whole lot of, uh, as people would call it, chess-like uh, strategy involved. No this is going to be a this. <laughs> this is going to be about uh, the Raiders' ability to get Jacobs going against the Steelers' uh, front seven, which has been challenged in that regard um, a bit over the last five games. Nice improvement last week. Still got some work that they need to do, uh, and the Steelers' ability, conversely, to get Najee going uh, against Oakland's front, which you can make the same argument. So, uh, I, I think it comes down to Najee versus Jacobs, and for me, it, it's probably Jacobs. It's probably um, it, top to bottom, I think that the Raiders have a better ability to establish and succeed on the ground than the Steelers do. And I think the game will go accordingly. Um, one thing I would point out, though, is, knock on wood, Najee Harris doesn't put the ball on the ground very much. I think he's done that, what, once, maybe twice in his career. 
Yeah. Um, and I, I believe it was on a pass too. So technically we can get away with saying he's never fumbled while carrying the ball um, from the backfield. So uh, that that's thin. Never mind. Skip that. We'll edit that part out later, right? <laughs> um, I think top to bottom, Jacobs is a tougher assignment. He's a tougher responsibility. But I think Pittsburgh is up to that task in a better way than Vegas is going to be in this game. Plus, I hate to say this, but the emotional element of this game just went through the roof, and it was already pretty stacked in Pittsburgh's favor. So I feel like Pittsburgh's just going to pull this one out um, just because of the, the, the emotion, the environment that, that, uh, that we're going to see it in. Um, we're we're going to see them rise above quite a bit to, uh, uh, from what we have normally seen them um, recently playing. I, I think this is a better level for them. And, yeah, I think it's the rah-rah stuff. I know that, that players are going to say we don't really listen to that. This is different, okay? We also know when the, when, whenever the Steelers honored uh, a player in the, in the past, they did something with throwback uniforms, which they're going to wear in this game. Whenever they did that at home, it brought the crowd out, and the crowd got something more out of the team than what we had seen to that point. They've kicked the holy hell out of some teams that they sh- probably even shouldn't have beaten in these kinds of premium marquee games. So uh, while everything in my being says Vegas is going to win, I think the Steelers are going to they're going to play above their A game in this. Um, this is a great day. Great, easy story for the for the lazy journalist. Easy story for Najee Harris, Najee Harris to run for like 132 yards in this one. Two touchdowns and the Steelers win. Wouldn't we, wouldn't yeah. we love that? Yeah, and, and both guys are. Uh, is, is that your prediction? Did you just – is that – uh, I'm, I'm not predicting Najee at 132 yards. I just like the symmetry of it. Um, I'm going back and forth on this. The more we talk about it, you, you've, you've swung me. Um, I mean, some, hey, of the I mean info it's, it's, some of the info that you've given me has, has kind of swung me a little bit. So it's it's very poetic. Harris, the passing of the torches, Franco Harris to Najee Harris, the Harris train. Mm-hmm. You, you can see all this, you know, someone more clever than me uh, coming up with a great headline if it all comes to fruition. But one thing with the Steelers before we get to our predictions, they better do a little bit better job in terms of pass defense last time. Derek Carr ripped them up 28 for 37. Three second half, he was on second and, half, he was unstoppable. I don't and, I think he I don't think he threw an incomplete pass in the second half, just torched yeah. him. But that he team rating, sucked. at that point of yeah. the year, they were terrible. Yeah, 126.2 rating, 10.3 yards per attempt. Ironically, and going back and watching that game, Ruggs was in that game, and I almost yep. forgot all about Ruggs as a player. Yep. I mean, who knows play. what's gonna happen to him? Yeah, he had a Big play in that game. I'm assuming sure we're not he probably, yeah, he, he never yeah. plays football again. Um, and again, of course, when you're talking about the Raiders, it's the matchup against Devontae Adams. I thought the Patriots did a pretty good job of him against him doing their typical double him and put your top your top corner on the number two guy. Um, and I thought the Steelers even in the first in the matchup last year did a good job against Waller. Um, I, I thought they did a pretty good job of holding Waller down. The Raiders have some explosive weapons uh, with Renfro, Waller, and Adams. But I think what you're saying uh, with the weather is going to really impact their ability to utilize all those dimensions in their offense. And I think it's really going to wind down to a game of each running game against each running game. And it's going to be Jacobs versus Harris, Alabama versus Alabama. And in this one, given the emotion of the game, the passing of Franco, the immaculate reception celebration, I'm going with the Steelers to win a very tough game in the elements 20 to 17. I like it. I like it. I I don't mind that number. Um, I feel like Waller is going to be critical to Jacobs' success. And I, I don't know. I, this is tough. I, I Vegas should win. Um, I just, I just feel like it's one of those games. The Steelers pull out uh, late in the year that they probably shouldn't. Um, 
I'm going to say Steelers 24, Raiders 20. Nice, uh, nice. I think I think it, I, I think we're going to see uh, something special um, on Christmas Eve. I don't know if it'll be as special as Antonio Brown, um, him scoring on essentially the last play of the game. Uh, again, you know, in that particular game, that was on Christmas. That was actually on Christmas Day, correct? Uh yes, yes, it was. It was and the so immaculate I think, extension. I think we, Yes, the immaculate. Well, well, I, I was thinking of a bunch of things when you said of Antonio Brown, uh, a, a few that I won't say on air pause. But with that, we are going to conclude the show. And again, we dedicate this program to the memory of Franco Harris, uh, to his family, to the city of Pittsburgh, to the NFL, to Steeler Nation, and to everybody out there that's mourning the loss of Franco Harris. With that, we're going to conclude the show. And as always, tune in, tell a friend, and subscribe. RIP Franco. <laughs>